0: good morning today's reading is from Luke chapter 7 verses 36 through 50 When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever has forgiven little, loves little. Then Jesus said to her, Your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. This is the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ.
1: A couple of months ago when we began discussing this fall sermon series, Encounters with Jesus, I was hoping that this story would still be on the table when it came my turn in the rotation uh, to preach. At that time I had been doing uh, my devotions through the Gospel of Luke and had read this story and had come back to it two or three, maybe even four days in a row because it was just impacting me so much. Uh, the story, the reason I, I love it and the reason I spent so much time with it uh, back in the summer isn't because it's filled with so much deep theology that you can dig into and mine, though of course it's there. The reason I, I love this story is because it calls us to feel deeply. Uh, this is not a story you can just engage with your mind. But I'm not asking you to turn off your mind, okay? I'm asking you to make sure that your heart is engaged with this story too. Because if we don't feel this story, we've really missed it. And of fact, there's so much feeling, so much emotion packed into this story, it's almost uncomfortable. Do you ever sit and imagine yourself being a part of some of these stories, Maybe you're one of the the wedding, or not the wedding guests, one of the dinner guests sitting around reclining at the table, you know, listening to the conversation. Maybe you're one of the guests up against the wall just observing the dinner. It would be fantastic, but it would have been uncomfortable. If my son Luke was there, he would have leaned over and said, awkward, more than once. A lot of feeling. This is an awkward story, but it's awkwardly beautiful. Uh, The story unfolds in the house of Simon the Pharisee. There's a similar story that's recorded in Matthew, Mark, and John that happens in the house of Simon the leper, but it's a different story. That one happens towards the end of Jesus' ministry, and the woman who comes in and anoints Jesus is Mary, the mother, I'm sorry, the sister of Martha and Lazarus. This woman isn't named, but she's referred to as a sinful woman. And the stories, the details are enough different that you can establish. These are two different stories. Simon, the Pharisee, has invited Jesus because he's curious about Jesus. At this point, the controversy regarding Jesus hasn't quite peaked. Jesus is a traveling rabbi, and Simon is curious to sit down and and chat with him, to pepper him with, with questions. And so as they're reclining around table, this was kind of a, a not an intimate family dinner. This was more of a, a banquet thrown in, in Jesus' honor, in essence. He was the guest of honor at this banquet. And so there would have been other people gathered around, observing, listening in on the conversation that weren't dinner guests, but weren't kept out either. And as they're carrying on polite conversation around the dinner table, this woman Enters carrying an alabaster jar. She had, that's not something you carry around with you, right? I mean, she didn't pull it out of her person on the kind of fly, decide to anoint Jesus' at feet. She had probably gone home when she heard Jesus was going to be there, grabbed this alabaster jar, and brought it to the dinner for the purpose of honoring Jesus. And as she stands there, she's crying. Not just in the small, cute tears. She's weeping. And her tears are are wetting Jesus' feet. And she bends down and undoes her hair, which in that culture would have been a lewd act in and of itself, and begins to wipe Jesus' feet with her hair, kissing them and anointing them with that expensive perfume. At this point, Simon, who's been curious about who Jesus is, is he a rabbi, is he a teacher, maybe a prophet, decides, no, he possibly he cannot possibly be a prophet. Because if he was, he would know who this woman is, that she's a sinful woman, and he wouldn't allow her to touch him as she is. Jesus not only knows who this woman is and that she's a sinful woman, but he knows Simon's thoughts. And he says, Simon, I have something to say to you. Simon says, well, okay, say it. And Jesus tells a short, easy, simple parable. He says there's a creditor, and two people owe him money. One owes him 500 denarii, basically 20 months' wages. Another owes him 50 denarii, two months' wages. Neither can pay their debt, and the cred- so the creditor forgives the debt. Simon, Jesus says, which one will love more Simon reluctantly says well I suppose the one who's been forgiven much will love more deeply and Jesus says you're right and that's what you're seeing here this woman has been forgiven much her sin is great and because she's been forgiven much she's loving deeply This is a beautiful display of affection and love for me. Jesus turns and affirms the woman. This had to take just tremendous courage on her part. She was breaching all kinds of social protocols. She's stepping out. She's known in the community as a sinful woman. Maybe an adulteress. Maybe someone who's lived a promiscuous lifestyle. Maybe even a prostitute. She's known for her sinful lifestyle. And she's stepping out. In love and faith and devotion. It's risky for her. And Jesus affirms her. He says, Your faith has saved you. Your sins are forgiven. Go in peace. And it leaves everyone at the dinner party asking the question who is this that has the authority to forgive sins? Again, it's a beautiful story. It's filled with these kind of awkward moments. The woman weeping, wiping his feet with her hair. Jesus rebuking his host. Awkward things, but beautiful things. And in the midst of this story, there's a few really interesting contrasts that we need to focus on. The first contrast is between Jesus' treatment of the woman and the Pharisees. The Pharisee looks at the woman with nothing but scorn. But Jesus looks on her with compassion. It's easy for us to be down on the Pharisees. We kind of lump them all together. They're the the villains in the gospel stories. But we have to own how much they're like us. They were the churchgoers, the religious, the devout The people who knew their Bible, who taught the Bible, who prayed regularly, who didn't miss church, they were moral, upright, they wanted to keep God's commands, they were committed to holiness. And their understanding of holiness meant you don't associate with sinful people. That's the Pharisees. And sometimes us. Remember growing up in the church, my dad was the pastor. There was quite a, a hubbub in the church because our youth group had gone roller skating with some other youth groups who had non-Christians in them. We were supposed to be separate. That was the idea. And if we weren't separate, bad character would impact our good morals. That was the idea. Jesus models something entirely different. He doesn't, doesn't distance himself From sinners. He has compassion on them. He sees through the sin. To the brokenness. And the hurt. And the loneliness. And he befriends them. In compassion. Jesus' disciples. Don't despise. Sinners. They welcome them. Feeling as Jesus felt. Towards them. Compassion. So let's do a check how do we treat sinners not the sinners that are socially acceptable sinners you know the greedy person the arrogant person those are socially acceptable sins what about those who are socially unacceptable in their sin how do we treat them how do we feel towards them Remember, this story is about feeling Jesus had compassion on this sinful woman. Do we have compassion? Jesus modeled a different way of befriending sinners, of bringing them close out of love and compassion. So that's the first contrast between the Pharisees' scorn towards the sinner and Jesus' compassion. But behind that, there's a, another contrast the contrast of The woman's understanding of her sin and the Pharisees. Uh, The woman was in the state of, of humble desperation. She understood her sin and her guilt and her shame. It was public. Everyone knew it. The Pharisee, he had no problem seeing her sin. But he was blind to his own. He was self-righteous and smug. And frankly, that's a danger we all face. When our sin isn't public. When it's a hidden sin. When it's a sin of the heart. We, be, we can become smug and self-righteous. But smug self-righteousness is a barrier to intimacy with Christ. Christ. It's a barrier to intimacy, period. I've seen this in my marriage. My wife and I, very rarely, but on occasion, have arguments. And those arguments usually end with multiple apologies. The first apology usually goes something like, I'm sorry I was angry, but you were being such a jerk. I'm I'm sorry I was annoyed, but you were being such a nag. See the the self-righteousness? My actions were justified. I'm right. After that second round of argument winds down, we usually come to the real apology. I was wrong. I I shouldn't have spoken like I did. I, I own my sin towards you. Please forgive me. And it's only then that intimacy... Is really restored, and that's true in our spiritual lives. Smug self righteousness isn't just something we deal with before we come to Christ; it's a constant threat to the believer too, and it's a constant hindrance if we give in to it to intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. The Pharisee was again; he was self righteous. He was smug. He could see her sin, but he couldn't see his own. But he had no reason to be self righteous. The story within the story, that parable that Jesus told, points that out. Simon, your sins might be less than hers, but you still can't pay back your creditor. You still can't pay the debt. You need forgiveness too. There's no reason for smug self righteousness. The story, the story within the story, is supposed to help us feel The weight of our sin. Whether it's small compared to the person sitting next to you or large, you can't pay it back. Own it. Feel the weight of that sin. And then you'll be in the place of humble desperation as the woman was. Ready to come to Jesus. Uh, The third contrast in the story that deserves our attention is the contrast between how Simon treats Jesus versus how the woman treats Jesus. Simon treats Jesus as an object of curiosity. He is minimally polite and curious in regards to Jesus. But the woman treats Jesus as an object of faith and love. It's probably overstating it to say that the Pharisee was rude to Jesus. He was minimally polite. He invited Jesus to a banquet. When Jesus arrived, he didn't offer him water for his feet, which was common, but not necessarily required. He didn't greet Jesus with a kiss on the cheek, which would have been how you greet a friend in that culture. And he didn't honor Jesus by anointing him. He invited Jesus in and was minimally polite to him and curious. He wanted the opportunity to ask Jesus questions and grill him and, well, treat him as an object of curiosity. Now, be careful here. I, I'm not saying that curiosity regarding Jesus is bad. I'd say it's a very, very good place to start. But don't get stuck There. Too many times we get stuck treating Jesus as an object of curiosity, an object of intellectual pursuit or historical pursuit. Jesus isn't an it to be studied and dissected and taken apart. Jesus is a person. When I'm curious about my wife, I go about that differently than when I'm curious about how an engine runs. It's okay to be curious about Jesus, but don't get stuck there. Eventually, as you pursue Jesus, that question is going to come, Who is this? You see it in this story. Who is this that can forgive sins? Who is this that can heal the lame? Who is this that speaks with such authority? Who am I? You cannot avoid that question in your curiosity. The woman had been curious about Jesus, had probably come to hear Jesus speak, heard his message of forgiveness. And at that point, she moved beyond intellectual curiosity and moved to an act of the will where she trusted Jesus and moved even further to a place of love. She loved Jesus. Her regard for Jesus moved from her mind and that intellectual curiosity. Who is this man that's teaching in my town? To her will. She acted. She trusted. She had faith to her affections. She loved Jesus with a courageous, bold, even undignified love. She knew that stepping out like this was bold, it was risky, it was going to invite ridicule, and frankly, she didn't care. She had been forgiven much, and she loved much. This story calls us to this too. To feel this kind of extravagant, bold, even undignified kind of love for Jesus. As we feel the weight of our sin and we feel Christ's love for us. We ought to also reciprocate and feel a deep love for him. The one who says your sins are forgiven. The final contrast in the story that we need to pay attention to. Is the contrast between how Jesus responds to Simon And how he responds to the woman. Simon greets Jesus with, again, polite curiosity. Minimally polite curiosity. The woman with faith and love. Jesus responds to Simon and his arrogance and his self-righteousness with a rebuke. He says, I came into your home. You didn't offer me water my feet. You didn't honor me by anointing me. You didn't give me a kiss on the cheek. She's not stopped wetting my feet with her tears. Anointing my feet with expensive perfume and kissing them. Simon gets a rebuke and the woman she gets acceptance and affirmation and forgiveness. Rebuke affirmation but both come from love Jesus's love and concern for Simon leads him to rebuke his arrogance because in that condition of self-righteous arrogance he won't feel his need for the forgiveness Jesus offers and without that forgiveness there was no hope for Simon there was no life for Simon so in love, Jesus rebukes. The woman already understands her need. And she's moved to accept Jesus and his offer of forgiveness. And Jesus forgives. At the beginning of the story, I asked you to kind of imagine yourself being a part of it. Go back and, and do that again. You're sitting with the invited guests around the table. Now imagine you came in weighed down by your own sin, hiding the guilt and the shame that you're feeling under a veneer of confidence, hiding it behind a well-crafted mask, but feeling weighed down by it nonetheless. Your sin's not public like this woman's sin, So it's easy to hide, but not from yourself. And it confronts you every day, and you're getting dragged down by it. And you see these events unfold. You see this woman weeping. You feel the warmth of Jesus' compassion. You see love emanating from his eyes and resonating in his voice. You hear the kindness of his words. And you yourself begin to feel relief. As that weight rolls off you. You yourself begin to feel hope. And love. And acceptance. And maybe you even begin to feel your own tears well up. I said this story is about feeling. Feeling. I think that's what we're supposed to feel. Jesus responds to a sinner's simple faith and gives forgiveness. Your faith has saved you, your sins are forgiven. Go in peace. I think that's why I kept coming back to this story over the summer. That is a sweet relief to know that your sins are forgiven. That holy God stands ready to accept my simple faith and to offer forgiveness. I hope this morning as you hear this story, you feel that relief all over again. You sense Christ's love for you all over again. And that your own love for him becomes even deeper, more extravagant, more bold. If you haven't felt that in your life yet, if you haven't experienced that relief of hearing your sins are forgiven, I would love the opportunity after this service. Bob would love the opportunity after this service or over coffee sometime this week to sit with you And talk to you about how that forgiveness was won for you at the cross. I would love to share that with you. So that you can experience that relief and that love. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you. We thank you that through your word and through your son, you not only expose our great need. But you meet it. We need grace and mercy, and you provide it. Where our need is the deepest, your love reaches the farthest. We thank you for that. We thank you for the peace that can be ours, the relief from sin and from guilt and from shame. Father, we pray that you would open our hearts to receive it even now. In Jesus' precious, precious name, amen.